Linda Sheldon Skeek, a member of the Tlingit people, is listed as case number 16000439 in the state of Alaska's missing persons database. A mother of three, Linda's last known contact was on January 1st, 2016. Her family continues to search for answers regarding the suspicious circumstances around her disappearance. This is the story of Linda Skeek. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Okay, you're going to have little baby grunts in that. <laughs> That's fine. Maybe we should tell our listeners that we have a four-week-old in the group. So We have a guest co-host today, so if you hear him, just know. He is everyone's boss right now. And he's just the cutest little baby. <laughs> Okay, we got like four minutes. <laughs> okay, so today's story is actually a story that Shiashi got as a listener request. And Shiashi, I don't really know who this request came from, but today's story is about Linda Sheldon Skeek. Yeah, so we often get requests from listeners to cover cases or stories from their hometown or uh, cases of someone that they know. More often, we are asked to keep the people that are requesting anonymous so we try to do that this one didn't say whether or not they wanted their name said so to be safe we're just leaving it as a listener request anyways with all that being said we do try to do as many listener requests as we can because we realize that more than likely it's a case that has received little to no coverage or there are still a lot of unanswered questions out there but i'm really glad maggie that you're covering this case today yeah so there's no real database so i hadn't even heard about this case but when I looked into it, it's actually, it had a lot of news articles about it and a lot of information. So it was a really good one to cover. So Lyndon Sheldon Skeek is listed as case number 16000439 in the state of Alaska's missing person database. Her last known contact being January 1st, 2016. Linda Skeek was a member of the Clinket people who are indigenous peoples of the Pacific Northwest, which primarily reside in Alaska and British Columbia. The Clinket people have their own language, which is a branch of the Nadania, maybe? I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation of that. Language family. Much like our language, it is a very complex language grammatically and phonetically. Today, the Clinket people only have around 400 native speakers in the United States and around 100 in Canada. There's a total of around 16,000 Clinket people, and similarly to our tribe, they have a very matrilineal kinship system, meaning that hereditary roles and clan designations is passed through the mother's line. I really like that we include information about these tribes because from an indigenous perspective, it helps me feel connected to other indigenous people when I hear like the similarities like the matrilineal aspects. And it also tells me just how far we need to catch up as a tribe with our own language. You said they have 400 plus fluent speakers and we have what, like 200 or so? 200, yeah. Like, I think it's like 170 around that oh, it's number gone down. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, we lost quite a few speakers through COVID. But yeah, this tribe is very similar to ours, um, not only with their language, but even with the amount of people. They have about 16,000, similar to what we have. I did want to note that matrilineal societies in Native American culture were really common, and it makes the statistics around MMIW cases that much more tragic. In Indigenous culture, Native American women are some of the most respected and honored individuals. And it's just tragic that in today's world, these same Indigenous women are not seen with the same respect and honor to the rest of the world. Linda Sheldon Skeek was born on February 20th, 1983. 
She would have been 39 years old this year. Linda was a mother to three, and at the time of her disappearance, was married to a man named Thomas Skeet Jr. Linda worked as a secretary for the NANA Regional Corporation, which is an Alaska Native for-profit social economical group. She was always known to be the breadwinner of the family and always held respectable jobs despite her own personal struggles. According to my research, it was noted that Linda did not have a simple childhood. She was placed in the foster care system at the age of 14 and fortunately lived with the Sims family, which from what it sounds like took great care of her and treated her like family. But like we've talked about before, the trauma that people endure during their childhood many times can lead to substance abuse disorders and mental health issues. And this seemed to be the case for Linda. It was reported that Linda struggled with substance abuse and alcohol abuse during her adolescence. And this followed her into adulthood despite her efforts. Linda participated in rehabilitation programs numerous times, however, was never successful in overcoming her addiction. We've talked about this before, but the similarities in these cases are just haunting. Like when we talk about substance abuse or mental health issues and the foster system with um, Courtney. Yeah, Courtney. The similarities are eerie. So much so, I mean, how much can we see our friends and family members in those same shoes? I know, it's really sad. It's almost like we're telling the same story, just different names. Well, that and the endings are like even all the same, which is terrible, you know? Yeah. According to her foster mother, Rena Sims, Linda had addictions, but she was striving to clean her life up. She had a fantasy to be whole. She was an extremely loving, thoughtful person, respectful to others. That's why she could always get such good employment. She loved kids and didn't forget a birthday. She was a tremendous daughter. That doesn't mean she didn't have her difficulties, but she was very well loved and she gave love back. I'm really scared to hear this story. It sounds like Linda, despite her tough upbringing, seems like she was really working hard to turn her life around and have meaning to it. And because you're telling us this case today, I know that the story doesn't have a great outcome. And it sucks, man. It sucks when you have genuinely good people trying to better themselves and life circumstances just had other plans for them. I hate this. Yeah. And, you know, it's just really tragic, too, that she was in foster care her probably her entire life, but wasn't into a loving home until she was 14 years old. For them to talk about, you know, how much love she gave even after having those circumstances, you know, just kind of tells who she was. A lot about her character. Yeah, for sure. So like I said earlier, at the time of her disappearance, Linda was married to a man named Thomas Skeet Jr., I couldn't find any information about how Linda met Thomas. However, the two were married in 2015 and shared two children together, who today would be aged 13 and 10. Linda also had one additional child from a previous relationship who did not live with the couple at the time of Linda's disappearance. By many articles written, it sounded like Linda and Thomas's marriage was a tumultuous one, and this was evident by the documented violence that occurred in the relationship. In one instance, in November of 2015, according to court documents, Linda pointed a loaded gun at her spouse in front of their seven-year-old daughter. However, that same month, she filed for a protective order against Thomas for herself and her two young children at the time. In her plea, she said Thomas had attacked her by grabbing her by the arm and shoving her, leaving scrapes on her chest. Ultimately, Linda withdrew this order 10 days later, and she and Thomas reconciled. This was only one instance of a domestic situation. However, the family reported that domestic issues were a common occurrence in their relationship. So I could really only find information around this one instance of Linda actually seemingly causing the violence. I have to believe a mom with young children in the home wouldn't point a gun at someone unless it was warranted. My first immediate thought was self-defense. 
Yeah, mine too. Like, why would she point a gun unless it was in self-defense? Especially in front of their seven-year-old daughter and combine that with the fact that there's already kind of an established history of domestic violence. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, what the, the troubling thing is, is there probably were other situations where it was really evident that he was the abuser. But this is the only story that came to light during um, this investigation was the instance of her pointing the gun at him. I mean, are we really surprised at this point that this was the focus? Uh, we've learned that the media does have a tendency to reflect people of color in a more negative light compared to non-people of color, right? Yeah, and... In this situation, it becomes relevant in court, I think. This wasn't the first run-in with the law that Thomas had. In 2006, nearly 10 years before marrying Linda, Thomas, who was 24 at the time, was charged with raping a 15-year-old girl. You're kidding. At the time, he was employed as a caseworker at the Juno Youth Services. And this guy's not in jail? Right? He wasn't in jail after that? As a result of this charge, Thomas spent four months in prison for third-degree attempted sexual abuse of a minor. Four, he raped a 15-year-old, and he only got four months in jail. Yes. Oh That's a God. bunch of bull****. I couldn't find um, any evidence or any documentation whether or not that Linda knew about this previous incident. And I don't know if this stuff just came to light, like when this case came to light. But that's definitely pretty damning. I mean, 24-year-old and a 15-year-old, that's almost 10 years. It's not just like, a you know, a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old relationship. You know, it's pretty significant. And he took advantage of her in his position. That's disgusting. By all accounts, the marriage of Thomas and Linda Skeek was not a happy one. Not only were there reports of violence, but there were also reports of extramarital affairs. At the time of her disappearance, the pair were separated, and it was reported that Linda actually had a boyfriend outside of the marriage. It was also reported that Thomas had a girlfriend outside of the marriage. Three days after Thomas reportedly last saw Linda walking away from their home on foot, he called the authorities. On January 4, 2016, Thomas Skeet Jr. called the Anchorage, Alaska Police Department to report his estranged wife, Linda, missing. He reported that the last time he has seen his wife was around 2.30 a.m. on January 1st after the two had spent the New Year's holidays celebrating by bar hopping in the Anchorage area. They were estranged. They each had a boyfriend and girlfriend, and they went bar hopping together. Yes, they did. Per Thomas's report to officials, he drove Linda to three bars and a strip club and stayed in the car with their children until Linda was ready to leave. He offered to be the designated driver for the night and drove her around until she was ready to go home. So... He just dutifully sat in the car with the children while she went into these bars and partied. Again, this is the story he gave police. Yeah, that's totally believable. Yeah. So my first thoughts actually are he might be telling somewhat of the truth, but I feel like personally there has to be something going on for her, for him to sit in the car and for her to go in these bars. I kind of wondered if it was like not a sex trafficking thing, but maybe something similar. That's just kind of my thoughts when I first read that. He reported that they got home around 1 a.m. and that Linda continued to drink. Shortly after, the two got into a heated argument, which, according to Thomas, resulted in Linda storming out of the couple's apartment on foot around 2.30 a.m. Thomas reported that it wasn't uncommon for Linda to leave, and he assumed that she would spend some time away to cool off and return to the home. Linda was never heard from again. When Linda left the apartment during the night of New Year's, she left with only her ID and $40 in cash. It was noted that Thomas had the family's cell phone. Linda and Thomas reportedly shared a cell phone, which, again, domestic violence. Oh, he was totally keeping tabs on her. 
Yeah, the control. Yeah, that's kind of my first thoughts when I hear that. It was reported that when Thomas called to tell Linda's family that she had not returned home, that he made comments that set off alarms in the mind of Linda's foster mother, Rena. Rena remembers Thomas saying that they'll never find her and became more suspicious that after Linda's disappearance, Thomas would not let Rena speak to her grandchildren. Ultimately, Rena's suspicions grew. Finally, he responded, I don't think so, after being questioned, if he had any involvement in what happened to her. Um, I think that's purely a yes or no question, sir. I mean, come on. It said that Rena then repeated it back to him and said, I don't think so. And then he said, no, I did not kill Linda. Rena immediately reported this to the police because Rena never asked if he killed Linda. Rena asked if he had any involvement in her disappearance or if he hurt her. So that's a red flag immediately for her is that he says, no, I did not kill Linda. Because at this time, you know, this is only a few days after she's been missing. So after this report to the police, they began further investigating Thomas and his story. When investigating his story, it was reported that police interviewed the upstairs neighbor of the Skeeks and learned that she had heard their disagreement on the night of January 1st. She said Thomas was very angry and swearing at Linda, and she overheard Linda say that she wanted a divorce. After this, she said she heard things breaking and being thrown and even felt a large bang and jolt that knocked a picture frame off of her wall. Oh, my God. Was this a neighbor that lived next door? And this was upstairs. Ah, okay. After this loud bang, the neighbor reported that she did not hear anything more from Linda. Linda's family formed search parties and shared her missing persons flyer with local businesses and anyone that would listen. However, ultimately, the answers they were looking for were much closer to home than they realized. On January 20th, almost three weeks after Linda was reported missing, detectives searched the home of the couple and found blood evidence that indicated that Linda could have been murdered in the couple's home. There were reportedly bloodstains in the bathroom, the basement crawl space, the kitchen, and in the passenger seat of the couple's car. There were freshly bleached clothes in the dryer and a note on the family's calendar on January 1st that said, 2.30 a.m., Linda walked off. After further investigation, it was learned that Thomas purchased bleach, ammonia, and Lysol after Linda's disappearance. And to further make things suspicious, he soon after her Linda was reported missing, he moved in his girlfriend into their home. Oh, my gosh. And all the while, the kids are still there, too? Yes, as far as I can tell. Oh, my goodness. This is a crazy story. Yeah. And what was this whole 2.30 a.m. Linda left a note on the calendar I'm so confused. Are we supposed to ignore the blood and the neighbor's account and the fact that he bought bleach and ammonia because, oh, look, here, he jotted it down, so it must be true? I mean, my calendar says stuff like dental appointment. Right? Or like soccer practice, 5 o'clock on Thursday. So on the same day that the couple's home was searched, Thomas Skeet Jr. was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and tampering with evidence in relation to Linda's disappearance. When he was arrested, police noted a possible human bite mark on his right arm and bruises on his neck, collarbone, back, and hip. And this was how long after she was reported missing? This was on January 20th, and he reported her missing on January 4th. Yes. So he still had very deep bruises and a very visible bite mark? God, she must have fought like hell. Yeah, so this was about two weeks after. I mean, for you to bite someone, like you have, I mean, that has to be like a really close, lengthy interaction because that's not something that can happen like quickly. Yeah. So to this day, the body of Linda Skeek has not been located. However, she is presumably deceased. Although Thomas Skeek was arrested for the murder of Linda Skeek, investigators know that a no body trial is difficult to convict. 
prosecuting a murder case without a body is an uphill battle as the only founding facts are all circumstantial evidence. Ultimately, this theory was correct. In 2019, in the murder trial of Linda Skeek, her husband Thomas was acquitted of all charges by a jury after only deliberating for three hours. Thomas's defense argued that there was not enough evidence to prove that Linda was deceased or murdered, and that there was even less evidence proving her husband to be responsible. Today, Thomas Skeet Jr. is a free man, despite the glaring questions that are in the back of all of our minds. Did they ever talk to the kids? I mean, the kids had to be there that night, right? So there was only one reference to speaking to the kids, um, and it was pretty grim. It actually said that one of the kids told um, a grandmother that they saw their mommy's feet in the hallway. And that was really the only remark that I saw from the children. Okay, can you explain to me what is circumstantial evidence? I guess I'm seeing that that all the signs are pointing to who most likely murdered Linda because realistically, the outlook on this case looks pretty grim. I mean, he's got the blood of the apartment and the car, the neighbor hearing the fight. He's got bite marks and bruises. It's just an acquittal seems like a gross injustice that this person is allowed to walk around in society while Linda has yet to be recovered. And don't forget, he raped a 15-year-old. So circumstantial evidence is indirect evidence that does not, on its face, prove a fact in issue, but gives rise to a logical inference that the fact exists. So you really would have to convince people that there was no other option. But her lawyer, or his lawyer, argued that she could have really walked away and left the home. The blood could be from something else. Um, someone could have picked her up and, you know, took her away when she was walking away. Someone could have came into the home and, you know, robbed and murdered her and took her body away. So that's what they argued was that there was all kinds of different instances that could happen that the blood in the home didn't mean much. And ultimately it worked in their favor. I don't even know how to respond to this one, Maggie. I know. Yeah, me neither. This one's... This one's just a curveball left and right. Even with circumstantial evidence, there are monsters walking this earth doing horrific things to people and continuing to live out their lives without a care in the world. Meanwhile, families are left picking up the pieces without closure, without answers. It's just really unfair. Yeah, it is. And what's really sad is, you know, those kids had to have been in the home when something happened. And, you know, hopefully they weren't witness to anything. But still, I mean, it's just terrible. So what's really sad to me, and I actually wrote this, hold on. I wondered if Linda's background with substance abuse and her identity as a seemingly troubled indigenous woman had an influence on the jury's decision to acquit Thomas. The case of Linda Sheldon Skeek is a troubling one in many ways, and it is one that continues to bring light to the issues that plague missing and murdered indigenous women in the United States justice system. In Linda's case, you know, she, it sounds like the police really put in a lot of effort to try to find her and to look into any leads that they got. And that was great. But then it goes to the judicial system and that's where the, you know, the justice system failed her. It failed her, failed those kids. I mean, whether those kids were present that night or not, which if they told their grandmother that they saw their mom's feet in the hallway, we can maybe assume that they were. But the fact that this relationship was tumultuous and abusive and these kids were not shielded from that, my my heart just breaks for him. This is a sad, sad story. Linda's family continues to search for answers in her suspicious disappearance. Linda Skeek is still currently classified as a missing endangered person in the state of Alaska. However, on January 30th, 2016, her family celebrated her life. 
Her obituary reads as follows. Linda Skeek, 32, passed away in Anchorage, Alaska. A remembrance gathering will be held at 4 p.m. on Saturday, January 30th, 2016 at Legacy Funeral Homes, Heritage Chapel at Anglis, with a potluck afterward. I just thought that was really sad because they couldn't even put a date on her death because they don't know when she died. And not only that, but they don't even have a body to bury. They are just remembering her life because they are coming to terms with the fact that they know she's probably not here anymore, even without any real answers. This is kind of lo- similar to the story you covered, Shiashi, of um, Faith Lindsay. Remember her boyfriend is in jail because he murdered her, but there's no body. I think there are like circumstances where people have been convicted with no body, but I don't know what the difference was in this case. I think he admitted to it. That makes sense. And unfortunately, in this case, this guy has no reason to admit to anything. No. And it's just like the Marie walking stick case, you know, her body was found and there is a suspect. Her family is basically like, we know who did it. We know she's not alive. It's not like she's still a missing person. I don't think there's like an active investigation. God, this is like, or we know who more than likely did it. We just can't prove it. And just like all the other circumstances, I'm sure without a confession, they're not going to get a conviction. It's a cruel, cruel world. I don't want to say that I'm getting desensitized to these stories because I'm not. But in doing these cases, you just want so badly to hear outcomes where justice is served. And most of these cases we cover have no ending, no closure. And it's as frustrating as it is on our end, you know, these families endure this every day. They're reminded of it every day when they wake up and their loved one isn't there. Our intention and our goal is to like help bring it into this, but it feels hopeless. Like it feels like because we hear the same story over and over and over again, like where does it end? When is it going to stop? I mean, when are we really going to start seeing justice for these women? It never gets easier sharing these stories. Or hearing them. Yeah. And, you know, I know we cover these stories every two weeks. And right now we're at, what, 20? Is this 21, 22? We're barely, like, touching the surface of how many there actually are. You know, the mini I just did on Ida Beard, that one was hard because, you know, it's it's still it's still an open case. But she literally walked to a friend's house and was on her way back, and she vanished without a trace. I mean, there's nothing and and the thought of that alone is scary. One thing I take away from all of this is I am never walking by myself ever. You guys can't be out there running alone no more. <laughs> I'm about to stop. I mean, seriously, like that's always a story. It's like, oh, they were walking on foot and they just never were seen again. It's just like that headline you shared earlier about the girl who went missing at the NBA game. Yeah, she just went to the bathroom and she was sold into sex trafficking. What is like borders like? being too cautious and like not letting your kids like navigate the world and then like how do we protect them from the same world we have to teach them to navigate like I don't I don't even know like where the line is I think that falls on us as parents to keep you know working to make sure that our kids have those tools to navigate the world because at some point they're going to be out there themselves without us hovering but uh not now until my kids turn 18 I will be hovering like a helicopter it's scary a scary world out there the outcome is always the same even when you feel like you know justice might be being served it's really not and that's what's so scary not only does it happen so often but no one ever gets held accountable for it 
I would say the way that we can help is like as constituents or as community members is to talk to our representatives who make laws that incite change. You know, in doing this podcast, I didn't really quite realize how many people are not aware of how prevalent this issue is. Yeah. Or even what MMIW stands for. And while I know we, I know our goal is we want people to talk about this. We want people to engage and be aware and have these conversations. But in the meantime, the problem is still continuing. The number of missing cases for Indigenous women grows so drastically day by day. It's, it's exhausting. I think that the only ask is to help change the narrative around Indigenous people. I think it's important for us to keep telling these stories and for us to keep humanizing Indigenous people in general, especially the women. We just have to protect ourselves and look out for one another. It's like we're fighting a battle. An uphill battle. Yeah, with a small army. One call to action we could have is like, you know, check on check on your people. Obviously, like Linda was having issues in her marriage and that's like something private, but... I still think, you know, like in a lot of these cases, if people maybe had just asked more questions or checked in more often, then maybe it would have raised red flags a little sooner. Yeah. Um, But that's really the only other thing that I can think of. This story is a lot like the other stories that we've covered where the victim had a substance abuse issue, was in a domestic violence situation, and seemingly was reported to have been known to take off without notice. However, just like all the other cases, Linda is still missing and her family have no real answers. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.